Shall we pray? Father God, we just want to thank and praise you. You're a God worthy of all praise. You're a God worthy of all honor. You are the God worthy of all glory. And Father God, I pray, Lord, today you will take the honor. You will take the glory. You will take the praise. And Father God, even as you work in us, work in a way that you want us to become, Lord Father. We just commit ourselves into your hands. And we pray, Lord, that we will be receptive to your word. We pray, Lord, that even as you speak, we will listen, Lord Father. And we will do. And we will be the kind of people that you want us to be. People who are victorious. People who are successful. Because that's what you have ordained for each and every one of us, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. We give all glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you turn with me to the book of Ruth? Read a couple of verses. The book of Ruth, chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 to 5. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Mehlon and Chilion, Ephratites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Mehlon and Chilion also died. So the, women survived, so the woman survived her sons and her husband. Let's also turn to chapter 4. I'm going to read five verses. Verses 13 to 17. Chapter 4, 13 to 17. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and, they, and went he into her. The Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid, laid him on her bosom, and she became a nurse to him. Also the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, there is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. In 1994, there was a movie which was released from the British film industry, and it was called Four Weddings and a Funeral. Has anybody seen that? Oh, why? Oh, good. Somebody else. I have. Okay. 
four weddings and a funeral. It starred an actor called Hugh Grant, and it was uh, a low-budget film. It was considered to be a romantic comedy. It was a fairly successful movie. Four weddings and a funeral. If you would look at Ruth, you are something slightly different. From these verses that we have read, ten verses, five from chapter one and five from chapter four, you can actually say that what you have here is the story of three funerals and a wedding. Am I right? It is a story with a tragic beginning, but a beautiful ending. We all know the story of Ruth. That's something that's always been taught in the Sunday schools, in the Friday schools, and it's a story that's oft repeated, especially in the women's ministry circles. But now let's look at it as to how this particular chapter and characters in this chapter apply to each and every one of us. Men, don't assume now that Ruth is all about women. We are going to be looking at how her characters can apply to us. The book of Ruth, in many ways, highlights a relationship that develops between a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. But we are not going to focus on that. I will leave that to the women's ministry to deal with. Instead, we are going to look at the path that two women took at specific moments in their lives. And therefore, I have titled this message as, at the crossroads of life. At the crossroads of life. The story in the book of Ruth is simple and straightforward. Bethlehem and Judah were struck by famine. And a gentleman named Elimelech and his wife and their children left this land and went to the neighboring country of Moab in search of fame and fortune. Unfortunately, in a few years' time, Elimelech dies. That is funeral number one. Shortly after that, the two sons marry local Moabite women. Mehlon marries Ruth and Chilean marries Orpah. And ten years later, these two gentlemen also die. That is funeral number two and funeral number three. Now at this point, Naomi hears that prosperity has returned to Bethlehem in Judah. And so she decides to return. But she is a broken and a very bitter woman at this point of time. So Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah walk along the road to Judah till they come to a point where some crucial decisions have to be taken. Will you turn with me to chapter 1 of Ruth and let's just read a couple more verses from 8 to 17. And Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go. For I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, 
Would you wait for them till you were grown? Would you restrain yourself from having husbands? No, my daughters. For it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you, or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. I want us to stop at this point and kind of look at this response of Orpah and Ruth. They are at the crossroads of life. Both made certain decisions, which in their opinion was the right decision. Orpah made a decision which she, in her opinion, she assumed it was the right decision. Ruth took a decision which according to her was the right decision. Now Orpah made a correct decision by societal standards. According to the society in which they lived, her decision was perfect. She returned to her father's home. In time, it would be natural for her father to look for a husband for her, so she could finally have a family of her own. This was customary in the land, and therefore there was nothing wrong in what she did. It was perfectly justifiable. It was a correct decision. It was a correct decision by society's standards. However, Orpah made two crucial spiritual errors. Number one, she went back to her old way of life. She returned to her old way of life. She returned to the place from where she had come ten years earlier. She had joined a family which was different in their customs, which was different in their beliefs, who had a different God. But now she chose back. She chose to go back to her old way of life. Number two, she went back to her old gods. That's what Naomi tells Ruth. Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Orpah made a correct decision by society's standards. Her decisions were erroneous by God's standards. Now, Ruth took a diametrically opposite decision. Ruth's decision to go to the land of Judah with her mother-in-law but without her husband, was not a common decision. The women would go where their husbands went. And in the absence of their husband, they would go by society standards. Now Ruth chose not to do that. Ruth chose to say, I will go with my mother-in-law. Was there a hope that she could have another husband through her mother-in-law? No, that was not there. Because that could have been a way out for her. But that was not there. So that decision that she made by all society standards was an inappropriate decision. It was a meaningless decision. It was not a logical decision. It was a decision which flew against the face 
of reason. But that's what she chose to do. However, her decisions, while it did not satisfy society, had great spiritual implications. And we will look at those spiritual implications shortly. Now, what is it to you or I, or what would we have done in such a situation? When we are at the crossroads of life, which path do we take? And I want us to think about that, because crossroads are things we face every day. We are forced to take decisions. We come to turns on the road. Do I turn right? Do I turn left? We are forced to take decisions at crossroads on a daily basis. Which path do we take? Now, before we go and study those decisions and determine what uh, possible decisions we could take, let's just look at uh, the reaction of Naomi before we move on. Let's look at the accusations that Naomi made against God. And let's not, please, look at Naomi with an accusatory eye. Turn those points back to yourself, to myself. Do I make these statements? What did Naomi say? Verse 13. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. That's what she said in verse 13. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. You read further in verse 20. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And in verse 21. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me home again empty. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me home again empty. Again in verse 21, the Lord has testified against me. Verse 21, once again, the Almighty has afflicted me. These were statements which Naomi made. Now, when you look at the life of Naomi at that point of time, you could probably sympathize with Naomi to some extent. She lost her husband. She lost her sons in a foreign land. She had no uh, offspring to continue the name of the family. And in most lands, it is indeed a tragedy when parents outlive their children. Here she was. She had lost her husband. She would lost her sons. To her, that was good enough reason to be bitter, to think that everybody was against her, to think that God was against her. And probably you could sympathize with her to some extent. But if you look a little deeper, we'll see something that Naomi chose not to see at that point of time. And the fact of the matter simply is that her husband... And her sons had disobeyed the Lord in their decisions. Whatever decision they took over the last ten years, they, in reality they disobeyed the Lord. Turn with me to Deuteronomy. Chapter 23. And let's read verses 3 to 6. Deuteronomy 23, 3 to 6. These are the people excluded from the congregation. An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, 
none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Because they did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from, from Petor of Mesopotamia to curse you. Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loves you. You shall not seek their peace, nor their prosperity, all your days forever. The men of Judah, the men of Israel had no business going to Moab. They went to Moab because there was famine in their land. They went looking for fame and fortune and prosperity. But the command of the Lord is, you shall have nothing to do with them. For ten generations, I don't even want them to enter into my sanctuary. Have nothing to do with them. And yet, where did Elimelech seek his fortune? In the land where God said, don't go. That is disobedience. That is disobedience. And therefore, God dealt with him. And then, if you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 3. In fact, if you start from verse 1, when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hevites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. Now, there is no the word Moab or Moabites have not been mentioned here. But the concept is, is clear. The principle is clear. When God doesn't want to have anything to deal with certain people, have nothing to do with them. And yet, the sons of Naomi took wives from the people of the land. They were not supposed to be there. So they disobeyed God when they chose wives from Moab. Now the issue for us is simply this. How often have we reacted like Naomi? How often have we said or thought the thoughts that Naomi verbalized? But how often have we gone on to look and see whether we have disobeyed the Lord? Naomi used words against God. She accused God without realizing or without choosing to accept the fact that her family had disobeyed the Lord. The primary cause of Naomi's problems was disobedience to the word of God. Are we guilty of the same? Think about it. Are you disobedient? Am I disobedient to the word of the Lord? Now maybe we are not in the position of Naomi. But God has told us many other things. How obedient or disobedient are we to the words of the Lord? 
disobedience is sin. And God does not qualify sin as little sin, mediocre sin, moderate sin, severe sin, sin which is punishable by death. Sin is sin and all sin is punishable by death. Full stop. God doesn't have varying standard levels, which we might have. Okay? Think about it. Are you disobedient to the word of the Lord? If you are, you are on a slippery slope of destruction and ruin. And what are the possible ways the Lord may deal with you? There are a lot of ways the Lord may deal with us and it's frightening. Just go home and read Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse, starting at verse 15. And go on and on and on and on. If those verses don't turn you, you are indeed in deep trouble. Those verses need to turn you. Now let's go back to the book of Ruth and see Ruth's decision at the crossroads of her life. So we go back to Ruth. Now having traveled through a disastrous past and facing an uncertain future, Ruth was able to see beyond the present. Her visionary words in verse 16 and 17 should be the words that men and women utter when they see you and me. I'm not saying these are the words you and me have to utter. I'm saying that these are the words others have to utter when they see you and me. So we need to look at ourselves also now. What did Ruth say? She said, entreat me not to leave you. Is that what people say outside when they look at us? Let me be with you. I see something that I need to be with you. Entreat, entreat me not to leave you. This is what Ruth said. Where you go, I go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die. May the Lord punish me severely if I let anything but death separate us. <coughs> when men and women outside see us, do they get that feeling? I need to be with this brother. I need to be with this sister. There is something about this brother, something about the sister that I need to imbibe. Just being with them, probably by a process of osmosis, it may enter into me. And you tell them, no brother, keep moving. No, I want to be with you. Where you go, I will go. Where are you going this evening? I'm coming with you. I'm coming to your home. Your words mean so much to me. Your thoughts mean so much to me. Do, do brothers and sisters say that about us? Can we think back of any brother or sister who has that desire to be with us? Or do we know of a lot of people who said, get away from me as quickly as possible. Are we magnets? Bringing people to Christ, or are we like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, hindering the spiritual walk of people? When people around us are at crossroads of their lives, do we guide them in the right direction? 
Do we take them to Christ or do we take them away from Christ? Do we see, do they see something in us that Ruth saw? Do they desire to serve the Lord we serve? Or maybe we ourselves are at the crossroads. We face crossroads all the time, so maybe we are at those crossroads right now. What do we do? Do we look at our problem and follow the Orpah road, or do we take the Ruth road? Do we look for a solution in people, places, or things around us, like Orpah did? Or do we look for solutions in the God that Ruth saw? The story of Orpah ends here. That's it. End Orpah. But the the story of Ruth continues. In chapter 2 of the book of Ruth, we read that Ruth did not sit at home with her mother-in-law and mourn and groan at her misfortune. Instead, she went and toiled in the fields, gleaning for grain. In the course of time, she was noticed by the owner of the field, Boaz, And Boaz is described as a man of great wealth. Ruth 2.1 describes him as a man of great wealth. Now Boaz bestows his favor on Ruth. So she doesn't have to toil very hard. But let us read a very interesting thing in Ruth chapter 2 verses 10 to 12. Ruth 2, 10 to 12. So this is after Boaz tells her certain things. And then Ruth falls fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me, all that you have done for your mother-in-law, since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and your mother, and the land of your birth, and you have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work. And a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. She did not know, Ruth did not know that people were watching her. She was just doing what she had to do. Boaz saw her. I don't know what work we do. But do we work hard? Or do we hardly work? Do we work hard when the boss is around? And the rest of the time we do whatever we want. Because people are watching. People do not watch you when they are around you. People watch you when they are not around you. That's the way of the world. Boaz did it. It's still happening today. Your boss in your office does not need to know anything about you when he is with you. The boss in your office knows everything about you because it is reported to him. That's what happens. And then we complain. Ruth was working hard in the field. She was gleaning the grain. Boaz noticed her. So then in the course of time, Boaz decides to marry Ruth. 
But he first had to redeem her from another kinsman. Now having done that, Boaz made Ruth his wife. But the story of Ruth simply doesn't end. Orpah ended long time back, but Ruth simply doesn't end. Her great-grandson, David, would become the king of Israel. Can you imagine such an, an ending? A story that began with three funerals, ended with a wedding. And after that comes a lineage line that is unsurpassed in history. Where does it come from? A woman who does not even belong to that tribe. She found favor in the eyes of God. God used somebody from outside the tribe because she was able to see beyond her circumstances. At the crossroads of her life, she knew which decision to take. She chose to take the right decision. Despair turns to delight. Now, this is what the Lord can do. All the time. Whatever is the despair we are in, the Lord can turn it to delight. That's the way he works. He doesn't want to see you in despair. He wants to see you in delight. And he is delighted to do that. Now, how do we translate all of this into our daily living? As we go down the highway of life, we regularly come across crossroads. Which road do we take? What choice do we make? Do we live by sight or do we live by faith? Orpa lived by sight. Ruth lived by faith. While making choices, there are some biblical principles that we can follow. And I will go through it quickly for, for lack of time. Number one, make choices that bring life. Make choices that bring life. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 to 20. Deuteronomy 30, 19 to 20. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey His voice, that you may cling to Him, for He is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. Moses made this challenge to the Israelites, and the same applies to us today. Make choices that bring life, not death. Following Christ is a daily commitment. Do we accept him or do we reject him? That's a choice we have to make. Orpah made her choice. Ruth made a different choice. Orpah's story ended the minute she made her choice. Ruth's real story actually began at that point of time. Because from then on, it's a continuous story all about Ruth. And it continues. Because her lineage, her continued lineage is an everlasting lineage. 
Number two, choose to depend on God's word. This is a choice we have to make. Number one, make choices that bring life. Number two, choose to depend on God's word. Psalm 119 verse 11. Psalm 119 verse 11. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Make that choice. Choose to depend on God's word. Hiding God's word in our hearts keeps us from sinning. But that alone is not enough. We need to put it into practice every day. Our life needs to be fueled by the word of God. Not by circumstances, surroundings, fair weather friends, career or ambition. None of those things really should be our driving force. What's there in the word of God, that should be your driving force. Number three, let God guide our choices. Let God guide our choices. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. Let God guide our choices. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place where he would receive an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. Abraham was a rich man. And there is no indication in Hebrews or in Genesis that he applied for a transfer of residence. He didn't have to. Yet, when God asked him to move, Abraham obeyed God. Abraham said, you be my guide. It might have sounded absurd. He was a very rich man. What else would he get when he moved somewhere else? It didn't sound logical. But when God said move, he moved. And we know that his obedience brought him blessings of tremendous depth and variety. Number four, attractive choices are often deceitful choices. Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13, verses 10 and 11. Thanks, Brother. Genesis chapter 13, verses 10 and 11. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. The devil has an MBA in marketing. Don't be deceived by the packaging. The devil often dangles a carrot in front of our eyes. And the problem of following a carrot is you don't see where you are going because all you see is the carrot. Pretty soon you will be going downhill. Your choices should be God-driven, not package-driven. Don't look at the package. Is it God-driven? That's your choice. 
That's the choice you need to make at the crossroads of life. Number five, good choices are not easy choices. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. Now, this is not an easy choice for Matthew, but he, he did it. Remember, Matthew was busy making money. You know that, because nobody liked Matthew there. He was swindling them, he was taking away money, he was doing everything. That's what tax collectors do. At that time, they did it, they are still doing it. Matthew was doing it. He was busy making money, as many of us are. Yet, when the call came, he gave up everything to follow Christ. Would we do that? Would that be a choice that we would take? If you come to a crossroad and you have to decide, give up everything that's here to follow Christ. Would that be a choice? But that is the way. Good choices are not easy choices. Beware of choices that bring instant results. It's from Genesis chapter 25, verses 29 to 34. You know the story. Esau comes hungry, barters away his birthright for a cup of porridge. Instant result. He wanted the, he wanted the porridge immediately, and he was willing to give away his birthright as the firstborn son. Now, if you go through the Old Testament, there's a lot of blessings that would go to the firstborn son. It's not something that you throw away. It's a privilege to be a firstborn son. Esau threw it away for a bowl of porridge. Instant results. Beware of choices that bring instant results. Number seven, confirm your choices through godly counsel. First Kings chapter 12 verses 1 to 18. I won't go into this. We won't read this one. But here is the situation where the king was newly enthroned, a young man, and the people come up to him and say, you know, we have been burdened. There's a big yoke on top of us. Can you please relieve us of this burden? And he calls the wise old counselors and asks them, what do I do? And they tell him, the old counselors tell him, yes, it's a good idea to relieve the pressure of the people. But then they will, so that they will serve you for the rest of their life. They will be pleased and they will serve you. Um, he said, okay, I will take a decision. Then calls his friends, his peers, his uh, colleagues, and talks to them. And they say, no, 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 don't do any such thing. Put more pressure on the people. So he says, well, that sounds very nice. Okay, let them serve you. Put more pressure on the people. And so he, he calls the people and tells them, no, you're going to have more work put on you. This is what my dad did to you, but I'm going to put more work on you. The people said, okay, that's the end of you. Israel and Judah will be two separate kingdoms. His decision split the kingdom. And then he had to run away. Confirm your choices through godly counsel. And finally, align your choices with God's plans. John 5 verse 19. Let's take that. John 5 Verse 19, and then we close. 
And Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. If Christ himself aligned his tasks on earth with the plans and purposes of the Father, who are we not to do so? The question that Pilate asked, what shall I do with Jesus, which is called the Christ? Actually, you can paraphrase it slightly differently, or you can put the emphasis slightly differently. What shall I do with Jesus? You see, Pilate wanted to know what to do with this man. But we can turn it around, what can I do with this man, with me? I can do everything. Okay, what can I do with Jesus? It's much more that I can do. Align your choices with God's plans. Brothers and sisters, we live in perilous times. We face crossroads every day. Choosing the right road is a serious matter. The road we choose to take impacts your life and those around you. Let us ask God to lead us every day so that our choices are in line with the plans and purposes of God for our life. Remember, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 14 verse 12, So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. One day, each of us will be asked to justify the choices we have made at the crossroads of life. Nothing is going to be hidden. Everything is going to come out. There is total transparency in heaven. Let us not take lightly the choices we have before us or the crossroads we are facing. It is God's desire that you and I have a future. That's what God has said in Jeremiah 29 verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. It is God's desire that you and I make it to heaven. It's God's desire that you and I make it to heaven. But the choice is yours and mine. We are at the crossroads. We have to take that decision. Whether we are going heavenwards, are our choices leading us to heaven? Or are our choices leading us to hell? There are only two routes that you could get into. We are at the crossroads of a life. Brothers, sisters, let's pray. Let's just think about these thoughts. Ruth took certain decisions. Ruth chose the God of the Israelites. Orpah said, I'm going back to my gods. It's time for us to take a stance. Who do you choose? Joshua said, as far as me and my house is concerned, we will serve the Lord. Just take some time to think of yourselves. Think of the crossroads that you are in. Think, what is the choice that you are going to make? Ask God to give you wisdom to deal with every situation as it comes.
in jesus name we pray gracious heavenly father we thank you once again for your presence thank you lord spoken to each and every one of us yes lord indeed we come across crossroads in our lives of oh father today you spoke to us very clearly and confidently how to handle and deal with this crossroads in our lives through the life of Ruth of Father. Dear Lord, let us carry this word in our lives and apply it in our personal living and long to go as you want us to live, O Father. Let us take a choice which you kept before us and taught us today. Lord, if any one of us or taking a wrong choice or going in a wrong direction today is the day that you correct us and you redirect us because we look unto you dear lord you continue to guide us and lead us thank you for the servant whom you use in this day let your anointing be upon him in our multiple portions let him be used for your kingdom purposes in the days to come father we pray for each and every one of us Lord, continue to be with us, O Lord. Let your word remain in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for accepting our praise in this day. As you are going to depart from this place, take us safely to our respective home. Once again, we pray for the Funmi's family and the traveling. And those who are traveling today, continue to take care of them. Lord, let your name alone be glorified. We ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Shall we all stand for the benediction? Let us have the grace. May the grace of our Lord, the love of God, and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen.